Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Well, good afternoon, everybody, and a happy Thursday to one and all. I am Andrew Langer in for Tony Katz today on Tony Katz Today. And joining me right now, I want to get right to it, is my old friend Tony Katz, your old friend Tony Katz, uh, on the ground in Tel Aviv. Tony, how was the uh, Turkish coffee? Uh, the Turkish coffee was good, kid. It was good. I have had today... And remember, today has been going on since yesterday. I have had 43 cups of coffee. No. Um, if, if it could be made in a cafe in Tel Aviv, I have drank the coffee. And it has been <laughs> it has been glorious. You know, the whole the people who do international travel on, on the regular and, and make these flights, I don't I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they keep their clocks, you know, in 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 sync, uh, I'm seven hours ahead. So right now it's it's just after eight p.m. in Tel yes. Aviv. The sun has has already uh, set, and I have slept maybe you know on, on that plane ride uh, three hours, three and a half hours yeah. in the last thirty six. It's it is surreal. Remember, remember what uh, remember what the guy on the plane with John McClane said to him in Die Hard. You you take off your shoes, you take off your socks, and you make fists with your toes. That's how you, that's how well, you get through it, Tony. So you got to go make fists with your toes. That is how you have the amount of people who have reached out to me. Hey, man, don't forget to take an aspirin. You need a baby aspirin. You don't want to get the deep vein thrombosis. And all I can oh think God. is, I'm worried about the plane having an issue. Now I have to worry about <laughs> deep vein thrombosis. Can 2024 just leave me alone already? It's all, all I want, just the simple, simple things. Um, uh, I so so the, the the stuff starts in earnest, you know, where yes. our travels down to a, a place called Raim, where that's where the music festival massacre took sure. place when the terrorists uh, uh, of Hamas uh, attacked. I will be in in a town called Maharia, which is. Uh, north of, of Akko, very close to the Lebanon border. We're going to be touring hospitals that are running on skeleton crews. We're going to actually be doing some farming and talking to, to, to those people. So all that is now getting started in, in earnest. Today was just a little bit of kind of get the flavor of Tel Aviv and what's going on here. And, and, and what is, well, how would you describe the flavor of Tel Aviv? It's it is a very strange thing to watch. This Israel's at war, and everybody knows it. And and no one should think for a second that the people of Tel Aviv aren't fully aware of it. The um, "Bring Them Home Now" signs are everywhere. Every cafe, right. every shop, everywhere. The posters of of the the kidnapped by by Hamas are up everywhere. When you get to Ben Gurion Airport, which is the airport uh, in Tel right. Aviv, and there's this very, very large ramp that after you get uh, out of the uh, the gates and you're walking towards customs, every three feet there is a poster reminding you. There, it, 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 is, it is everywhere. It is ever-present. But those cafes are full. And people right. are drinking coffee, and people are out for a run, and people are shopping. The amount of strollers 
that I have seen small children, teenagers having a, a coffee or having a drink and, and they're like they're done with school for, for, for the day. And, and it, it's, it's, it is, it strikes one as a bit surreal. Like, like we know what's happening and we talk about it. Andrew, you talk about it and the other work right. uh, that you do and the podcasts that you do and, and the consulting things that you do. We're, we're fully aware. And, and we certainly are uh, on the show. We're talking about it and, and, and latest updates, but you take a look at the people at Tel Aviv and for a second, you're like, wait a second, do they know what's going on? And sure. when you talk to them, as, as you start engaging with them, what you start hearing is, we want Hamas gone. Everybody wants Hamas gone. The country is completely aligned. But these people have lives that they have to right. live, and they're living them. And and there's a certain level of, in, in Tel Aviv, because it is such a metropolitan city, it is such, a, it is so huge. The, the skyline of Tel Aviv you know, I, I was last here in 1989, last in, in, wow. in Israel. So, you know, as many people have explained to me, it, it wasn't even a country then. Like, like sure. the, the, the growth of these last years has been exponential. And it is. There are cranes everywhere. It's, it, it is an unbelievable skyline. And these people are living their lives. They're, it is a little bit different in Tel Aviv because of the international flair of it than I think the the rest of, of Israel. But it's not like anybody has forgotten. It's just life is happening. Well, right. I mean, it, two, two things that I'm reminded of. N number one is let's not forget that up until a couple of years ago, uh, we had a period of, of relatively unprecedented peace, you know, as a result of the Abraham Accords. That's helped what has spurred a lot of this construction over there, this reliance on the stability that was existing. Biden come in, comes in and the order uh, was upended. Uh, at the same time, I'm also in terms of this issue of living your lives. I don't know if you I'm sure you had conversations with our good friend, the late, great Cameron Gray, who had downloaded that app that had the uh, the rocket attacks, the notification of the rocket attacks app. Did you ever talk to him about this, Tony? Uh, about about those specific apps? No, and that conversation. Well, he, had, he had he had he had downloaded that app, the app that notified you if there was a rocket attack uh, happening somewhere in Israel, and he tried living for several days, and it was just one of these situations. Again, this was during Barack Obama's tenure as president, so this is before Donald Trump came in and things changed. But the number of attacks, he's like, you know, folks try to live their lives, but they have these apps that notifies them if, if something's happening in their lives. It's the way you try to live defiantly and purposefully. I think that's what I'm what I'm getting at here. It's part of what, what goes on there. You're going to learn more about this. Who are you over there with uh, and, and who else is on the – can you talk about who else is on the trip with you? Yeah, so, so two things. To, to that point, um, recognizing that a state of war is culture in, in Israel is, is, something, is something else. When I went – uh, uh, back in the day, I had come back and I had done a speech. I was I was a kid. I was yeah. I, I was in my teens, my late teens, and 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 I had done a speech at, at my synagogue. So this is New Jersey, and there were two thousand people there. It was the Jewish holidays, and I had given a speech where I'd actually held up a a bullet that went into an M sixteen and and was explaining that this is the culture. And yes, absolutely, in Tel Aviv, uh, soldiers with M16s, I, I, walking right past me, 
as if it is absolutely nothing because it is absolutely nothing. Right. Uh, these, these people, young and old, have always lived with this state of, of, of war in this, in this culture. I have two different rocket apps on my phone right now um, uh, to, to give me some level of awareness if things go on. And I'm telling you that for some parts of my tour, right here in, in my hotel room is my bulletproof vest. I brought it wow. with me. It's right here. And of course, it's going to be worn. Some people might say, oh, sure, Tony, you're like, you're really worried. Anybody who is anybody w would understand that, hey, of course, uh, there's a level of concern and, 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 a, and, a, and, a, and a very, very rational level of concern. But people going about their lives, it, 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 I, I say it as jarring because it is. It, it is as, it's, it's stunning to witness. But this is every day for them. Every day is walking down Ben Yehuda Street in Tel Aviv and, and, and knowing that someone could do something because that's the way it's been. What the hope is in, in the people that I, I, I have spoken to is that there, there are no more straws. There are, there, beyond, we're beyond last straw. This has to end. Now, as, yeah, as yeah. for the group, as for the group, Andrew, uh, so it's the Jewish Federation of Indianapolis, along with the National Jewish Federation. There's something, uh, the Partnership for, uh, for, for, for Western Galilee, Partnership with Western Galilee. So um, that, that's who, uh, if, if you will, sponsored uh, this. Uh, I, I paid my, my, my own travel and, and, and everything else, um, hmm. but it's, it's just this opportunity to Sure. To meet with mayors and meet with soldiers, meet with these hospital workers, meet with people in, in the Druze community, D-R-U-Z-E. Uh, people forget that there are Israeli Arabs all over the place who sure. absolutely recognize that Israel is not the problem. Hamas is the problem. This idea that somehow the Arab world is, is against Israel. Wait, we can point to people. We can point to nations. We can point to terrorist groups. But Israeli Arabs, they're living good lives, and they want right. to continue living good lives. They're not on the side of Hamas. Hamas is the enemy. Hamas is keeping them from being able to live a rational, rational life. So, so with this, this, this group, um, uh, where I, I, you know, it's it's people from the Indianapolis area where where I'm at. There's people here from Texas, people from from Ohio, different levels of leadership within these organizations and others. Um, and, and really people who are in their, uh, for lack of a better word, community, trying to get people to understand what, what level of horror show is really going on here, the level of upending. You're talking about tens of thousands of Israeli refugees. They have no homes. The homes have been destroyed. You're talking about wow. uh, you know, farms and farmers the people who normally are working these farms, you have people who come from the Philippines and other places who, who get work permits in Israel and are working. They're not here. And other people, they're on the front lines. They're, they're fighting this, this war. So there, there's a serious food uh, conversation, an issue that's happening. There's the question of, you know, uh, while the, the hospitals have doctors, what about the staff to clean the hospital? They're on the, they're on the right. lines. Um, there's, there's just been an upending of society and, and our media, uh, Andrew, it, it, they don't, they don't talk about this in the slightest. And that's one of the right. things I wanted to talk to. So when the opportunity came up, you know, off I went. 
Well, there you go. Listen, we're going to have you on every day, Tony. I wish you all the best. So glad you're doing this. I'm going to be reporting on this. I'm more than a little jealous, my friend, as you and I have talked about. Uh, but please, I, I say this on the show, and I mean this uh, with the utmost sincerity. Please stay safe uh, while you're over there. We need you to come home safe and sound, my friend. That is that is my plan. Uh, my my family is also very interested in me coming home safe and sound. <laughs> uh, and uh, we'll have everything over at uh, at TonyCats.com for people who listen uh, on, on, on my uh, flagship WIBC. Uh, we'll have things over there as well. We're going to share things with our, our, our other uh, stations Monday through Friday, our weekend show. We're going to be sharing things with all of them. So Everybody will be able to catch the videos and, and a lot of the conversations we're having. So I will uh, check in with you tomorrow. Well, good, Tony. And I'm hoping you're going to get some good barbecue while you're over there. I know that's not uh, number one on your priority, but it certainly should be up there in the top five. You take care, my friend. We'll talk to you tomorrow. If I find good barbecue in Israel, I'll let you know. Cats, uh, host of Tony Kelly. I'm in for Tony Cats today. Wasn't it always fun talking to Tony? I, I look forward to talking to him uh, uh, tomorrow and, and all while he is in Israel. I'm Andrew Langer, in for Tony Katz today. Joining us right now is Ellie Gardy. She is uh, a columnist with the American Spectator. And Ellie, I'm sorry, we're delayed a little bit. I hope you, Tony, Tony's over in Israel, so I'm, I'm glad you can join us. Um, let's start here. You were at CPAC over the weekend. How did Christy Nome do? Yes, I was. I saw Christy Nome's speech, and she did a good job, but I noticed the room wasn't jumping up and down for her. They're not completely enamored with her, even though it seems like she is the most likely option for Trump's vice presidential candidate. I'm not entirely certain. I, I made a bet with somebody over the weekend uh, at CPAC uh, that, uh, that he, he thinks it's going to be Doug Burgum. Uh, I think it's going to be uh, Tulsi Gabbard. So we <laughs> We will see. Uh, interesting. I, I am. Yeah, I, there's I, certainly some movement around Tulsi Gabbard, so that's a good bet. Well, yeah, yes, I, I, I think so. He made a compelling case that this idea that Donald Trump does not like to be overshadowed. Uh, he wants some. Somebody else made the case, you know, that these tickets have to balance each other, and and Trump can be a little, uh, a little, uh, a little everywhere, like all, you know, every sort of anyway, a little, uh, a little hyper. Uh, so someone who's a little bit more calm might might balance it out a little better. But let's go here you're doing a lot of work and i appreciate this on what's going on in california what's going on with gavin newsom right now right so gavin newsom is currently facing another scandal uh so there's a new law that's requiring fast food restaurants in california to pay their fast food workers twenty dollars an hour this is crazy but there's this very oddly specific exemption where fast food restaurants that sell bread as a standalone item don't have to pay their workers $20 an hour. Okay. And so why could this be? And people figured out, well, it's because Gavin Newsom is corrupt, essentially. So Panera has the inside loop with Gavin Newsom um, because uh, someone who owns many Panera franchises in California has a long-standing relationship with Gavin Newsom. And okay. so, as a result, he convinced Newsom. And, you know, this is all publicly known now, that because of this business relationship with Greg Flynn, Gavin Newsom has exempted all these Paneras. So now there's a lot of controversy 
because it looks pretty blatantly corrupt. So it's another well, step back. Well, I mean, right. I mean, the other the other option would be, you know, McDonald's should start selling McBread. You know, uh, uh, Burger <laughs> King could start spelling, is selling loaves oh, of absolutely. Rye King. You know, I mean, every it, it, restaurant in California is now going to be selling bread, Dunkin' Donuts, and bread. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it, it is, but I mean, right? Doesn't it underscore the fact, uh, Ellie, that that regardless of when you go down this road, right? You create these complex situations. There's always a way people find a workaround. Um, but is there is there a serious recall effort underway for Newsom? I mean, is this is this the thing that could completely trash his 2028 hopes? Yeah, so it just came out this week that they are trying for another recall effort against Newsom, but it will be a big uphill battle because the last time they had the recall, they lost by Newsom held on to his position by 24 percentage points. So, okay. you know, coming off of that, it's really hard to have a recall stand. But there is some movement toward uh, being successful, given that uh, Newsom's approval ratings have been falling to their lowest levels. So he actually recorded his lowest level of approval in November. Wow. Even worse than after the French laundry scandal, which, you oh. know, we thought that was a big national moment. But people in California were pretty upset to see Newsom going all over the country, acting like he was campaigning for president. Meanwhile, California is in total meltdown, given the homelessness crisis, the crime, just the quality of living is really going down. And, you know, Newsom is... Looking toward the White House, as always. So, We're talking with Ellie Gardy. She writes for the American Spectator. She also does a podcast for them, uh, the uh, the Spectator PM podcast. And one of the things she wrote about last week, you talked about this week on the podcast, is Newsom's impending budget disaster. Uh, that's a whole other avenue of it. But, I mean, this is this goes without saying. It's California. There's no there's no accountability. But what's uh, what's specifically happening with the budget right now? Oh, yeah. So California is facing a major problem right now. They have a $73 billion budget shortfall, which that is a ginormous number. So the budget is supposed to be $226 billion. So being $73 billion short, that is just, that is a problem. (laughs) So Newsom is denying reality right now. He's trying to claim, oh, it's just $36 billion. Well, it's really not. So... (laughs) I mean, I mean, you know, well, listen, I know exactly how to solve it, right? If you, if you, if you make fast food wages above twenty dollars an hour, all of a sudden, other all these people who are working fast food jobs, they'll all be paying more taxes. I mean, regardless of the fact that now, when you make a a a a, a Big Mac fifteen dollars, you know, fewer people are going to buy them. I mean, I this is this is the craziness of this sort of the democratic balancing scheme, isn't it, Ellie? Oh, yeah. I mean, Gavin Newsom created this situation. This does not need to be the situation. This is the richest state in America. They have some of the highest taxes in the country, and yet they're $73 billion in the hole. And that's a direct result of spending $51 billion on climate projects. Oh, let's give away two years of free community college. Oh, and if you immigrated here illegally, let's give you free health insurance. It's it's crazy. <laughs> Ellie, listen, we gotta we gotta leave it there. Thank you so very much for calling us today or talking with us today. 
right. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thanks. That was Ellie Gardy. You can follow her on uh, Twitter at, at, uh, at Ellie Gardy. Um, she writes for the American Spectator, spectator.org. Uh, when we return, we're going to be joined by uh, Tim Lee, my old buddy Tim Lee from the Center for Individual Freedom. You can tweet at me at Andrew underscore Langer on Twitter. Also message me on uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash Andrew Langer Show. I'm Andrew Langer in for Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. We are back, everybody. Hi. Andrew Langer in for Tony Katz on Tony Katz Today. Joining me right now, my old buddy. I've been uh, spending a lot of time talking to my, my good friend Tim Lee from the Center for Individual Freedom. He and I are working on a couple of different issues together. And I want to start here, Tim. Uh, did my CPAC panel over the weekend with Doug Collins in which we talked about what's going on with the National Institutes for Standards and Technology and this march in rule uh, regarding prescription drugs. And we just filed comments on it. I know you filed comments on it. Talk about what this march in rule is and how it goes far beyond seizing the patents for uh, for prescription drugs. Yeah, so going back a little bit, um, The Economist magazine, which isn't far right as much as some people want to assume that it's a right-leaning magazine, uh, The Economist magazine uh, labeled the Buy Dole Act and by Buy B A H Y, uh, named after a former senator from Indiana, along right. with Bob Dole. Uh, in 1980, they passed what's commonly referred to as the Buy Dole Act, and what it did was it granted greater uh, patent rights to organizations, uh, nonprofits, and, and universities that were receiving some federal funding. So, you know, for instance, you work at, let's say, University of Maryland or um, William and Mary, since that's right. uh, near and dear to your heart. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you're undertaking some experiments uh, with potential new drugs, and, and you can patent that. Well, before the Bayh-Dole Act, you know, the government just retained those rights. You couldn't market it. The university couldn't. You know, a small organization couldn't. Federal government retained rights to it, and they rarely, if ever, did uh, pursue those patents or market them. And so what the Bayh-Dole Act did is it allowed uh, private groups to own those patents, which enabled, obviously, the marketing and promotion uh, of those inventions. And since then, we've seen just an explosion in innovation, uh, whether it's the pharmaceutical industry or elsewhere, um, and The Economist magazine labeled the Bayh-Dole Act the greatest bit of legislation that has come out. Of, I, I'm trying to recall the exact word that they used. I think they said most inspired right. uh, legislation to come out of Congress over the last 50 years. And so it, it's been very fruitful. We're talking tens of thousands of patents, whereas before that we were, they were numbered in the hundreds. Uh, before 1980. So the point of all this is the Bayh-Dole Act of 1980 was a phenomenally uh, good bit of legislation. It was bipartisan, and it allowed for a lot of new inventions, uh, you know, a half century later almost. So the Bayh-Dole Act contained what is called a march-in. Right. M-A-C-R-H-N. Right. And so what that did is it said, look, if 
some university, for instance, gets a patent, but it's not marketing the thing that it invented, in some circumstances, if there's an overwhelming public need for it, uh, the government can, quote unquote, march in and sort of possess that patent and say, look, this is needed for public health. Um, and, and they can take it from there. Now, that has never been granted, okay? We're talking about a, an exception to the Bayh-Dole Act, which grants these patent rights, that has never been enacted because it's a dramatic step and a drastic step. Right. Now, let's talk price controls, which I know is another one of your issues uh, on which you talk a lot. Here's where we are right now. The Biden administration, especially with its outrageous deficit spending, is looking for ways to cut corners. Well, what's one of the industries they're targeting? The pharmaceutical industry. Of course. And all these life-saving drugs. So they have this bright idea that what we're going to do is we're going to activate those march-in rights in one of the subsections of the Bayh-Dole Act because we want to make the contention that by not selling these drugs at a certain right that we find acceptable, you're essentially depriving the public uh, of those inventions. And so that's all a long way of saying that uh, the Biden administration wants to march in and confiscate patents because they don't find the price at which those drugs are being sold satisfactory. It's essentially a, a price control. Now, one other thing to make very clear, about 20 years ago or so, uh, senators by and Dole, they were no longer senators at this point, they were retired, but they wrote a letter the Wall Street, not the Wall Street Journal, excuse me, the Washington Post, and they specifically anticipated this potential in the future, that the government mm. would try to, quote unquote, march in and confiscate patents as a form of price control. They specifically said the law does not allow that. And so here we are. Uh, it violates the text of the law. It violates the spirit of the, of the law, as the two senators for which it is named have explicitly said. And it constitutes price controls. And I know you talk about this on your show a lot. Sure. The only thing that price controls do, price controls don't reduce a price. They just make that good uh, unavailable. You know, right. think of gas lines in the 1970s. And so what we're going to see is a lot of, of current investors won't invest in the research and development of these things if they know the government can just come in and confiscate it if they want to impose a price control. And so that's going to literally kill a lot of people. One more quick point to make, uh, and I think a lot of people, I wish more people were aware of this, but most people sure. aren't. The United States accounts for two-thirds of all new medicines introduced to the world every year. Right. Now, why is that? It's because we have very strong patent rights. The United States has the strongest system of intellectual property rights, and intellectual property includes patents as well as copyrights and trade secrets in the world. And that helps explain why we are the most inventive nation in the world. And so all of this is going to kneecap patent rights, and it's going to end up hurting people out there, consumers who rely on these drugs and these inventions to literally save lives. And so that's the issue we're facing now. It violates the law, but uh, that's rarely an impediment to the Biden administration, as you know. 
Right. So we're talking with Tim Lee from the Center for Individual Freedom. And Tim, I had a conversation with David Kapos yesterday, who's the former director of the Patent and Trademark Office and was an undersecretary of commerce for the Obama administration. And he is very much opposed to what uh, the National Institutes for Standards and Technology is doing in this regard. One of the points that he made, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this, is that at a time in which universities were talking about the cost of a college education and the university universities raising tuition rates, trying to pay for various expansions, this is going to have an impact on the, the all, all research, all, all universities that do any kind of research that relies on these kinds of research grants at a time when we can ill afford to cut off uh, uh, market-based funding to them. Talk about that. Wow, what an excellent point. And uh, that's a good get from you, especially coming you. from somebody who ideologically is on the other side. And that's absolutely right. And so you're talking about, I mean, I know you've talked on your show a lot about inflation at the university level and how tuition and, and costs for students have outpaced, outpaced regular inflation. That's absolutely correct. So, you know, for listeners out there, sort of walk yourself through how this process works. You work at a university, you're a professor or you're a student or other worker that's working on one of these potential inventions. Well, you know that even if you receive a little bit of federal funding, you're going to be able to market that, and you're going to actually make money on it. So recouping your investment. Well, like you just said, if you, the university, are not going to be able to recoup this because the Biden administration has the bright idea that it needs to be sold at a lower price, you know, it, that's not going to bring you those licensing fees and those profits that you're talking about here. And so that was an absolutely great point, and, and congratulations to you for for getting that, that confession uh, from somebody who's presumably center-left uh, on this issue to say, look, when you invent something and you have a patent right to it, you can license that for money and recoup your costs. And whether it's an endowment for your university or scholarships for future uh, students at the, at the university, that's another price we'll pay. So in addition to the, the cost in lost drugs that can save lives that we talked about earlier, that's another great point that uh, it's going to hurt universities themselves and uh, kneecap their ability to attract and, and retain great students who might not otherwise be able to attend those universities. Fantastic We're talking. Point. We're talking with Tim Lee. He is with the Center for Individual Freedom. Let me shift gears a little bit. One of the things I wanted to talk about over the weekend with Brendan Carr from the FCC, we didn't get a chance to talk about it, was rural Brad, excuse me, rural broadband <laughs> and the NTIA. This is something that's really hot off the presses, uh, again, with this whole of government approach to things and trying to take control of the Internet. What is the Biden administration and the NTIA doing about rural broadband and why should we be concerned about this, especially in Indiana? Well, we're again talking about price controls, and it's funny. I mean, few people are as well-rounded as you are in terms of their breadth of knowledge. And so, yeah, that, that sort of screeching shift from drug, uh, <laughs> drugs and pharmaceuticals to uh, uh, broadband expansion. Um, you always got to be on your toes with Andrew Langer. Sure. Um, so <laughs> yeah, we're still talking about price controls here, though, and, and so it does make a smooth transition. Here's what happened. Um, Back during, you know, the Infrastructure Act, uh, which was, again, a bipartisan bill, there were billions and billions of dollars uh, that were sort of dedicated to broadband expansion. So, for instance, in Virginia, there's a lot of uh, rural communities out there that don't have broadband. And so there's this noble cause that, uh, look, it's just like building a highway 
that gets to some of these rural communities or billing, uh, or, excuse me, building telephone wires or, or power lines that go out to these communities. Well, we're going to expand broadband to reach those communities that don't have it as well. So it's a noble cause. Um, but when the infrastructure law was passed, the specific terms of the law said this will not be used to impose price controls on that broadband. And so fast forward to now, what do we have? We have the Biden administration, and it's uh, it's NTIA, which stands for National Telecommunications and Information Association. You have them essentially imposing price controls. So Virginia wanted to sort of – what happens is from the federal law, the federal government sort of uh, disperses these funds to individual states, and the individual states sort of handle the expansion. So it's an example of federalism as well. But Virginia – went out and said, okay, here's our plan, and here's how we want to go about it. Well, they're not getting approval unless they agree to these price controls. Here's the problem. As we talked about earlier, price controls don't reduce price. They just make a good or service unavailable, which is the case here. You have a lot of private broadband companies that say, look, I'd love to expand these communities. I can't do it for less than a certain amount. I'm just going to lose money on that. It will drive me out of business. So what are we supposed to do here? But yet the federal government is going to insist on imposing these price controls, saying that, look, you can expand broadband to these places and you can have some of these federal grants to help do it. When you do, you're not going to be able to charge over, let's say, $20 per month. And then the company says, well, I I can't do this for less than $40 a month, for instance. And so uh, it's once again an an instance of, of price controls. And a couple of points, I mentioned earlier that the the law itself prohibits this, but then uh, some of the people who who have testified, the NCIA's administrator, Alan Davidson, specifically said in sworn testimony before the Senate, no, we do not engage in rate regulation. It's not on the agenda. And then the Secretary of Commerce, Gina Raimondo, made the same commitment. And this is, again, uh, under oath to the Senate, I'm quoting her here. Yes, we do not require that. I want to be clear. We are not rate regulating. We are not price setting, and we are not requiring states to do that. Well, now they actually are. So not only are they violating the law, they're violating their own testimony. So terrible example that's going to hurt, ultimately, hurt people who need broadband. Well, got it. Hey, Tim, we got to leave it there. How do folks find out more about the work you guys are doing at CFIF? It's uh, CFIF.org. CFIF stands for Center for Individual Freedom.org. And uh, check us out, and we love working with you. And uh, keep up the great work, Andrew. Amen. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate it. You take care. Thank you. You too. That was uh, Tim Lee with the Center for Individual Freedom. I do have a longer-form interview if you want to go check that out on my Lunch Hour podcast. I'm going to talk a little bit about that when we come back. Uh, when we return, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, what's going on down at the border. want to hear from the Border Patrol. I'm Andrew Langer. This is Tony Katz Today. True story. I will, on occasion, drive my wife up the wall when I go down the uh, the Country Rock Road. 
uh, with this song, Heartache Tonight, uh, then uh, followed up by, well, the uh, pop country as well, uh, Elvira by the Oak Ridge Boys, and uh, and then uh, uh, you know finishing it up with a, with a little Kenny Rogers, uh, and sometimes Kenny Rogers in the first edition. Anyway, I'm Andrew Langer, uh, in for Tony Katz, uh, while Tony is in Israel. So glad you can join us. And I teed this up before. I'm going to talk about this. Maybe we won't even get to the, the Border Patrol thing. Um, if you're liking what you hear, and you like what you hear, you, you, you get a chance. I do three, count them, three podcasts now. Uh, yes, as, I, as I'm fond of saying, in America today, everybody is born in a podcast. Uh, and if you don't have one, then chances are I may have taken it from you. And for that, I am only mildly apologetic. Uh, but I do a show with my buddy Jerry Rogers, who's the editor of Real Clear Policy. Uh, it's normally uh, you know about once a week, though occasionally we have to skip because we're so busy now, uh, called Andrew and Jerry Save the World. Uh, we've got two really great episodes out now from CPAC. Uh, had some good interviews there and a lot of fun. Uh, if you get a chance, you should watch the video that I put up yesterday for our CPAC Day 2, in which a friend of ours, you may have heard from her before, her name is Mary Walter, she's a radio host as well. Mary Walter joined us, and she uh, she saw a guy walking through CPAC with a puppet on his arm uh, called Puppet Carlson, maybe it was Muppet Carlson, I honestly don't remember and really don't care. And as, as, uh, as we're sitting there, Jerry is muttering, oh my God, she's not bringing this puppet over. Oh, she did. And I, of course, because that's who I am, I engaged with the puppet. Uh, Jerry, if you watch the video, did everything he can, could to not look in the puppet's eyes. He was looking everywhere else but the puppet. It lasted for about two minutes, but it's well worth watching. Andrew and Jerry Save the World. Uh, I also do a, uh, a, uh, a long-form interview show that I alluded to. I mentioned, didn't even allude to it. Mentioned with, uh, with the, in the interview with Tim Lee. It's called the Lunch Hour. It's put out by a guy, uh, an outfit called uh, the Federal Newswire. Uh, it is a long form interview show. It is a good time. Uh, really interesting guests. Uh, uh, sometimes I even will interview Democrats if they are willing to come on the show with me. Uh, so go and check that out. Both the Lunch Hour and Andrew and Jerry Save the World are available on YouTube and wherever fine podcasts are found. All kinds of different platforms out there. Uh, Spotify. Uh, Amazon, uh, Pandora, Apple, whatever. You can check it out there uh, as well. And then finally, I'm, I just started doing uh, a few months ago a regulatory podcast called Swamp Secrets, exposing regulatory dark matter. Uh, that's good stuff. Got a great interview with uh, the former Prime Minister of Great Britain coming up on that. So go and check it out. The last hour of the show is coming up. Going to be joined by Scott Shepard from the Free Enterprise Project, Barry Hinckley from the Redeclaration of Independence. Democrats are going crazy. This is Tony Katz today. Yeah.